I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to History Rage, the podcast all about members of the historical community lowering their blood pressure by way of getting a lot of things off their chest, where we light the blue touch paper and stick around for the fireworks. I am public historian Paul Bavel and I'm here with my ever-loyal co-host and fellow historian, once again, Kyle Glover. Hello everyone. Now, the last time you'll recall, we went back in time and looked at the truth behind the Dark Ages and this week we're carrying on that backward journey even further into history. This week, we welcome Iron Age historian and ancient technology tutor, Caroline Nicolay. Caroline, welcome to History Rage. Hello, everyone, and really, thank you for inviting me. That's absolutely fantastic. Are you feeling angry? You're not sounding angry. I don't, but I'm really polite. (laughs) There's a lot of repressed, you know, anger inside. Excellent. Well, it's time to let all that out. Now, Kyle and I have known you for some years now, and to be fair, we're usually meeting up in a field while you butcher a deer. But for the benefit of our other listener, please tell us, you know, all about yourself, your work and the various projects that you're involved in. Well, I'm, I work part time as an ancient technology tutor on an open air museum uh, down in the south of England. And for the rest of the time, I'm a professional living historian and experiential archaeologist. So I provide displays, demonstrations, courses, workshops about usually the Iron Age, mainly daily crafts and skills, things like that, more than, you know, kings and queens and uh, really higher echelons of society. Mm. I also do Tudor 1572, usually, weirdly enough. Um, so we travel between these two time periods, but I really, really focus mainly on the say the middle iron age which well in yeah. england the iron age is 800 bc to 43 ad date of the roman conquest for example i usually do 300 bc to 100 bc i don't really go much um i try not to yeah. go into the roman conquest time period um because it's quite well known now yeah yeah uh, everybody's at it aren't they yeah pretty Wondering much here bringing the fish sauce and their slavery. Do you know, I focus mainly on historical food, so the food side of things, the cooking techniques, and yeah. paints and pigments. Um, also showing that 
yeah, during the Iron Age, we were painting our houses. They were really nice, painting our objects. So if you hear about cave art and Roman frescoes, let's not forget that there are thousands and thousands of years of art still in between. It's not all about the Romans. That's that. That's then leading nicely into what you've come to really kick off about here, is it? So please, Caroline, tell us in your own words, in your own time, with all the emotion that you want to bring to bear, <laughs> what is the one thing you wish people would stop believing and just get over? Oh, do you know, it, the, right, there are many, but one of the worst for the moment to me because everybody asks about it or says that it's the deeply ingrained belief that everything every piece of civilized world of good food of good life of architecture of culture everything just arrived in britain or in europe with the romans that before that you ate bland gruel and porridge every single day of your life thanks to agriculture <laughs> that you probably wore rags rolled in mud and just, yeah, were struggling along until fortunately the Romans arrived. As much as I like them, that really, really annoys me a lot. How can you possibly like the Romans, Caroline? At your core, you're a Gaul. Ah, well, I can't hide the accent, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry for noticing these things, you know, but there you go. <laughs> it's really, really hard. I mean, um, I do appreciate the side of Romanity that has lovely crafts and uh, and actually good things for agriculture and so on and so forth. Uh, art is really nice as well. But as soon as you begin to climb up over the really lower classes and the people and the you know the artisans and the, the farmers. I, I, yeah, yeah. It, it is a struggle. But let's not forget <laughs> about everybody who lived for thousands and thousands of years before anybody Roman arrived in Britain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in fact, you know, in no doubt, quite a lot of other places in Europe that Rome didn't get into at the time as well. Absolutely. Cards on the table here, Caroline. My Iron Age knowledge is fairly limited right. um, and by limited I mean the sum total of my Iron Age teaching was probably spending 15 minutes with you and Tom looking at an Iron Age blacksmith forge <laughs> and, and, and there we are basically so for me and I imagine quite a lot of people out there you know you tend to think of your pre-Roman people as painted blue and kicking 10 bells out of each other <laughs> you know or dancing around stone circles waving bells I mean what was pre-Roman society like? What sort of structures did it have? You know, caste systems, social order, just just who are these people? That's that's a big problem that we have. I say we, you know, royal, we are archaeologists and, you know, researchers into into these time periods pre-writing culture. The thing is, we don't have much written by the INH people. And there's a lot of misunderstanding, especially in the English language, because you we use the word Celt or Celts, Celtic, as yeah. a description for all these communities and these these people living during the Iron Age in the whole of Europe within a very similar culture. So you have to include the British Isles, 
um, even Spain, Portugal, you have Gaul, I mean, you have France, Belgium, Switzerland, Germany, and it goes way further east. You go into Dacia or Dacia, yeah. modern day Romania. All of these people, these populations, have a similar kind of culture that we called Iron Age Celtic. Now, yeah. that's a problem that doesn't happen in other languages, I don't think. Definitely not uh, in French or German. Celtic means Iron Age. But in English, Celtic also means later medieval Celtic, like the Book of Celts and manuscripts and later centuries. And that is very hard to explain to people. It's completely different. Yeah, the Book of Celts and the knotted artwork and things like that come from very ancient root of Iron Age art. But using the yeah. same word is really misleading. So when I say Celt or Celtic, I will talk about, say, 800 BC to first AD kind of um, kind of time period yeah. anywhere in Europe and if I talk about the Britons it's the Celts living in Britain in Britannia if I talk about the Gauls it's the Celts living in modern day France in Gaul if I say Celt-Iberians it would be the Celts living in Spain so like nowadays we have different countries all within the geographical Europe you would have a geographical map of the Celtic world, and then you have different names for different now countries. Within yeah. them, you have different tribes. Take Britain, for example. Everybody or a lot of people might have heard about the Brigantes, uh, the yes. Dabuni, the Drotrigues, the Atrabates, um, and hang, so on hang and on so forth. Minute. Hang on a minute. Just run back then. Brigantes Ooh. I had heard of, although I have to say it's because I knew a rock band by the same name and looked it up and found out. <laughs> um, but yeah, who, who are the rest? A lot of very less known people because they are not all mentioned by the Romans. That's the thing. If you oh, don't have guys Greek again. and Roman authors, you don't actually hear much about them by themselves because we don't have actual written evidence and legacies from these very, I don't actually know that word in English, language-based cultures. See what I've done there? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yes, they seem to have been pretty, you know, pretty feisty, pretty warlike. We all really like uh, the idea that each different tribe worked on a different type of administration. So say you could have a chieftain, men or women, which is really interesting yeah. uh, compared to other civilization in the world at the same time. You can have a council, so a form of little senate, if you like. You could have... So we saying we had this idea of the Senate before the Romans even got here and stuck togas on everything and claimed it as their own. <laughs> if you could, if you would like to call it a Senate, I'd say, yeah, it's uh, there are mentions of councils, not even yeah. druids and things like that, just a council of people, usually probably educated people and noblemen, etc., etc., that are just running the tribe they're just doing the dull stuff like sorting the paperwork out and making every sure you know everybody's bins get emptied and things like that <laughs> yeah you yeah. didn't park your chariot somewhere you know exactly yeah. Yeah. get a fine yeah you can't park that there yeah so you talk about the you talk about the sort of chief and the council and what are sort of the other important figures within iron age communities we usually hear about kings or queens well I mean, especially in England, we hear a lot about Boudicca. Cartimandua is a bit less known, but she was, to me, she's the best example. She's queen and she's married, right? 
but she mm -hmm. decides to divorce. And as she is the queen, the husband gets thrown out. She doesn't lose her throne. She is the one staying in power and decided that she has had enough, basically. So that's a really, really interesting uh, feature of, let's say, the wider Celtic culture is that yeah. women actually have a pretty important space in social, political, and also religious life, not just as augurs yeah. or anything. I'm going to actually come to them in a bit more detail a little later on through the interview. Yeah. Because uh, we've, we've got a section where I really want to find out about the role of women. But can we talk about kind of the religious structure? Because I mentioned, you know, in the lack of knowledge that I have, that you picture people dancing around stone circles and oh, yeah. making sacrifices and so forth, you know. Well, what is the religious strata of Iron Age society? Hmm. Is there one? We don't really know. There are mentions about the Druids, which would be somewhere between philosophers, teachers and professors, astronomers, definitely mathematicians, if it's, if it's the correct word in English, and people who know, who are probably older, but who know a lot of things and transmit that knowledge to apprentices and students orally. That's the key point there. Mm -hmm. We don't write anything down. That's a problem for us historians, archaeologists, but it's just not that type of culture. If you compare yeah. it with modern day tribal communities around the world, say modern tribes in Africa, you might have somebody who's the medicine man or the shaman or the doctor or the chieftain of the village, and you as an outsider will not be able to recognize them. They might have just a t-shirt, baseball cap. That's it. Everybody around, everybody in the area, in the wider area, will know exactly who they are. So we have to drop that idea of, you know, panoramics, asterix and obelix with very long bearded, white robes, druid, um, golden <laughs> sickles and all that sort of things. Potentially, but the majority, if not all of the evidence or mentions that we have seems to point towards some people that are really well educated and have to really do a very long apprenticeship, so much so that they know Pythagoras' theorem. But yeah. when Gaul, in the Iron Age, no problem. They have traveled all the way around and they are exchanges of people and knowledgeable people to teach others between Greece, between what's to be Rome, and so on and so forth. They speak several languages. They write different languages. We have more writing, I think, of ancient Gallic language written in Latin and Greek than we actually have anything Gallic written in its own Gallic writing, if it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's the Romans writing about them. Yes. The Romans and the Greeks writing about them. They write about them and the people, the Gauls, who are writing things down, say um, yes. a calendar, for example, so the colony calendar, a lot of it, the colony calendar is one of the only examples where you can find actual specific Gallic or Celtic writing, yeah. whereas a majority of just inscriptions, even if it's in Gallic language, they will write it using Latin or Greek letters, mm -hmm. which is both good and not so good. <laughs> yeah. <It's> problematic. <laughs> yes. Right. Now, I'm going to open the floodgates here because this is your sort of specialist area. This is what we know you from particularly. One of the areas where Rome really leaves its mark is the food. Did they really change as much as we think they did in 
Britain particularly. I mean, when we think of, say, Monty Python's Life of Brian, one of the things the Romans did for us is the wine. But what else did the Romans bring food-wise to Britain? Not as much as we think, <laughs> is my usual answer. Say, we usually hear about wine. Yep, they absolutely yeah. do make wine and trade wine and no problem. Way before the Roman conquest, no problem. Olive oil, that is weird because they do produce it, they do consume it themselves. But that is one of the major differences between traditional Britannic cuisine and Roman cuisine. Mm -hmm. You do not eat oil basically, if you live in Britain during the Iron Age or in the whole of Europe. There's a definite, say a line about, if you find Lyon in France, trace a line and everything south of Lyon and the Mediterranean basin is very much olive oil, wine and garum, the fish sauce that we always hear about instead of salt. Mm -hmm. That really is the major difference. If you go north of that line, we eat our bread with butter instead of oil. We use salt instead like of fish civilized sauce. people. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, until you go to a very nice bistro, but here you go. And instead of wine, we usually have ales, meads, and any kind of distilled things like that, be it malt, say, from even from even wheat beer. But it's not so much the wine or not the wine production. These are the three main differences. For the rest, we usually genuinely hear people say, the Romans invented everything. We were eating just bread and gruel and porridge and a little bit of meat and then a lot of alcohol before they arrived. Na, 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 na. It's almost like we never grew vegetables, really, is it? Exactly <laughs> my point. <laughs> and we, I mean, the Iron Age people were absolutely amazing craftspeople, for a start, and also farmers. It is to the extent that they export surplus to Rome. My favorite example is, and it is mentioned in Roman text, so I quite like this one. I come from Eastern France. It is a region renowned at the time and mentioned by the Romans as being the best producer of smoked and preserved ham exported to Rome and the capital, whereas now we import Parma ham, Serrano ham from Italy. They imported Gallic ham to Rome because it was so nice. That's my little victory of the day. <laughs> but genuinely, we had a very varied diet. What the Romans will import is a lot more fish being consumed. It's just traditional like that. A lot more pork, whereas before that, we were eating more beef and sheep, mutton. We hear a lot about chicken being imported by the Romans, but new studies seems to reveal that, nah, at least 100, 200 years before the Romans arrive, we still have chicken in Britain. Um, so that's a very interesting one. They will bring alliums, onions, garlic, and leeks. We usually have wild garlic, but not the rest. And they will really bring in some variety in some fruits, vegetables, and fruits that we already have. For example, we have apples in the shape of crab apples and various smaller apples. The Romans will import new types of apples. So it doesn't revolution much. But if you like fennel, for example, celery tops, parsley, again, leeks, garlics, onions, all of that sort of things. Yep, that will arrive with the Romans. Black pepper from India, definitely so as well. Wine, eh, 
yeah, we can trade it before. And before that, I don't hear anybody, you know, dying off first before they had aqueducts and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was what, what was an Iron Age diet like, and what sort of what sort of foods would Iron Age people produce um, and and cook? Would, mm-hmm. You know, can you give us a, a, an example of an Iron Age meal? Uh, yes, it's very seasonal. So say. Now we are in January. It's a bit the low season, really. It's past the winter. You're still on your food in your in your stores, but it begins to run out a little bit. So you have to make sure that you don't miss out the first plants coming up, say nettles, for example. It sounds very foragey and wild and all that. Mm-hmm. Everybody was eating nettles. I mean, most certainly even the Romans, because it's the first plant that just pops up after the winter, and it's full of vitamins and minerals. Now, I just leave that there. As a meal, say, I really like making stews. It's You can leave it on the fire for absolute ages, no problem. We have archaeological evidence that, yeah, they were making stews even earlier. So, say you can use root vegetables, turnips, parsnips, carrots, not orange carrots yet, but can happen still. You can store them pretty easily throughout the winter, you can have, well, very soon, nettles, wild garlic. So say you can make Iron Age garlic bread pretty easily. Fred bread, uh, fresh or hard cheese, no problem. Wild garlic, bit of butter. And you can cook that in your bread oven, over your fire, anything that you like on the sole of your half. Think about beef and ale stew. That's still very traditional. No problem at all. That definitely was what was done. I want to say definitely. They had all the ingredients and all the utensils but we don't have any recipe books. And say flapjacks. That's something that I discovered in England, actually. Flapjacks, you have oats, butter, honey, and a pinch of salt. You can absolutely make even Bronze Age flapjacks. That could have been made. The problem is I will only be able to say it could have been because apart from the very rare occasions when you find an entire pot with the actual burnt meal inside... Again, we don't have recipe books yeah. like the Romans have. Yeah, so we only really get the recipes that the Romans tell us were in here before they got here. They don't even tell us much more than yeah. they had a lot of meat, uh, they had a lot of milk and bread, and they don't mention any vegetables at all. But on the other hand, would you be impressed if somebody very exotic that you visited thrown you a party and a massive feast and banquets, and the only thing you have is the usual vegetables that you have? You will talk about the massive amount of meat. That's a big difference. They are producing quite a lot of it. You can think about pretty much anything as long as they had the ingredients, they had the utensils, and it's the right time of the year to get all of these together. Yeah, and then you can make anything going. Hmm. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what about buildings and architecture? Obviously, we think the Romans have been very impressive, massive buildings and temples and forums and whatnot. What was here before the Romans, before Caesar turned up? I mean, I'm thinking, obviously, roads and aqueducts, as we already mentioned. What was here? What sort of infrastructure did Iron Age society actually have? Breaking ground revelation there, but we did have roads before the Romans. Wow. <laughs> it's something that I keep hearing. Oh, I know, mind-blowing. <laughs> People travelled everywhere, right? For thousands and thousands of years. But be careful, when the Romans arrived, we started having roads. Now, it's just they build a different kind of road. They yeah. have... They have the know-how, but mainly they have the the manpower. That's mainly yes. that. You have an army, a genuine actual army, with engineers being able to spend their times doing nothing much more than building roads, building camps, building infrastructure, you know, killing a few people. Oh, that's so nasty. I'm so sorry for the Roman lovers. We, you know, I know there's a lot of people. I do. I do as well. It's very, very, very odd, but tell you what. Yeah. Today's the rant, so I'll just go for it. We absolutely had roads. We didn't die of thirst before aqueducts. We had good hygiene. They even have, you know, surgery. A little bit different than Roman, or do we just not know about that? I don't know. Because we don't have anything written. So if it's not in the archaeology, we cannot, absolutely cannot prove it, which is really annoying. Mm. So think about the major difference and what the Romans kind of bring to the Celtic world, civilization, Europe, etc., is the concept of city. They work in cities with citizens and it's massive towns. I mean, we know what a city is, but yeah. it's the whole society of the Roman Empire is based upon the city, the civitas. Whereas that doesn't apply. And that's why they don't understand and is so barbaric or different or, or backwards when they go to these places, Europe and see just villages, oppidums, hill forts, no problem. Big, big centers of populations as well. But it's not like a city. It's much smaller. It's more yeah. scattered. You have less people concentration. That will be actually one of the problems and bringing kind of the fall of the Roman Empire to concentrate so many people in Rome rather than you know, leaving people alive in the fields to work the fields and so on and so forth. Yeah. But that's the major difference. And I personally think that's something that just clashed completely. So you will find what I absolutely hate hearing, mud huts. I find that such <laughs> yes. a derogatory term. Oh yeah, they were living in mud huts. Yeah, well, they are mud and they are houses. So, in yeah, essence, um, they are eco-houses, aren't they? It is just yeah. a building material, yeah. after all, isn't it? It's no, it's, a, it's readily available. You know, you put it into enough heat and enough light, it will actually go solid, sturdy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I understand you actually, as part of looking into how on earth did they paint their the, the houses, you actually learned to build the wall, didn't you? <laughs> yes. I mean, the process. Tell us a little bit about the Iron Age structures. So it, it, yes, it's 
it's fascinating to just learn about the architecture that disappeared, because when it's made of wood and mud, eh, well, you don't find much in archaeology. So you find post holes, so you find traces on the ground of what was there and decayed, because the earth is slightly darker or a different color. So you can tell what size it was, how many posts, and so on and so forth. But what about the elevation? How high were the walls? Yeah. Was, was the roof actually the shape that we think it was? And the problem I have personally is that we consider, or many people consider, or don't think that, there would be art and there would be interior design, <laughs> decoration on walls before yeah. Roman frescoes, apart from hmm. cave art. But that surely was just people smearing a bit of charcoal and paint over the walls of a cave. No, it's really, really yes. intensely thought out. They have to process minerals to actually make pigments, mix them with something to make them into a paint, to stick on walls that have three, four, maybe five different layers of daub, a render, and then the paint. It's, to be honest with you, it's much better than the house I live in at the moment. <laughs> so it's something that's really, really hard to get across to people because we keep hearing they lived in mud huts and instantly you will associate that with not very comfortable, pretty dark, dirty, and so on and so forth. It, yeah. it really isn't the case. We mentioned earlier in kind of the role, role of women, and you, you mentioned one queen. The only other Iron Age woman I've pretty much ever heard of or been aware of would be would probably be Boudicca. Right, yes. And, and I couldn't tell you a great deal about her either. I mean, if I was to just go on top of my head now, I'd say Queen of the Iceni, sacked Colchester. <laughs> That, you know, it didn't turn out too well. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, technically correct. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about the limit, as you can as you can see. I'm an Iron Age historian <laughs> by trade. Yeah. Well, but, you know, what what was life like for Iron Age women? How did they fit into society, and uh, and what did the Romans do to them? That's ah, you see, that's a problem because as I'm French, I mean, you know, someone has to be. I studied more. <sighs> You heard about Vercingetorix, maybe? He's the yeah. very, very known king, chieftain, or the, 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 the figure of Iron Age yeah. France, Iron Age Gaul. Whereas in England, or in the UK, you have Boudicca. And it's really interesting to me because, yeah, she, she's a woman, she's a queen. It didn't work out too well in the end, but she was uh, married to the king. They have daughters. Well, they had daughters. The king dies. And unfortunately, before he died, he was under Roman supervision, shall we say. He was still the king and they were still in power, but it was kind of directed by the Romans. Very friendly. Yeah, a vassal of Rome. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, vassal of Rome is, is the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent description. So basically, when he dies, the tradition would be his wife and his daughters should inherit his kingdom because women have power as well under Celtic culture or traditions. Whereas in Rome, women are not allowed to take part into political activities or not to hold any, you know, social political yeah. roles. So I think women are just not allowed in Rome, really. Aren't they? <laughs> well, not in the army and not in the Senate <laughs> and, you know, a lot of places. Technically, Okay, technically in Roman culture, as far as I understand it, you have a woman will belong to their father. 
Right. When they get married, they belong to their husband. If their husband died and they don't have a father anymore, they will belong to either an uncle, a brother, or a male relative. You can escape that by being very rich or very well-known, something like that. So they are escapes. You can escape anything by being very rich. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but they are, they are grand Roman women. But the problem is, Ooh, yes. the vision of society is that you should not be into politics. You should not show yourself that much um, outside socially and so on and so forth. Whereas in Celtic culture in Britain for the moment, you have queens, and they are queens, as I was saying about Cartimandua, who's, to me, a better example than Boudicca, because yeah. she is officially the queen. She didn't marry the king to become queen. She was the queen. That's it. So she divorces her husband, and he goes. Whereas when the king, so Boudicca's husband, dies, she should become the queen, but under Roman rule, it doesn't mean anything to them. Also, they're quite greedy. It's not the right time. There's a lot of events going on at the same time. And they decide that now they're going to take it. So the story goes that they rape both daughters. Uh, Budik is really uh, beaten, upset about it, as you would. And a rebellion, massive rebellion follows, which is only fair. <laughs> if that happens... I know that's something mm -hmm. really weird to say, but there's just not much archaeology. There's there's many there's texts, there's mentions, yeah. but you know, just because it's written down doesn't make it absolutely bang on true, you know. And that's for uh, another if, you know, another yeah. kind of research. There's a but, whole podcast there, but oh, yeah. <laughs> I am not getting into that at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy for Pudica to be there and everything. I do believe that she was the actual queen, that everything happened like that. Mm -hmm. Um mm. I don't think myself that she has led an army and fought on the battlefield as it has been shown in many, well, film, you know, series and so on and so forth. Yeah. She's yeah. a figure. She's a leader. Yeah, you can be on a chariot and you can have all the long hair that you want. You don't have to go into battle. It's not the place of women, even in Celtic society, which is different from Viking era society or Scandinavian society where you have women, actual fighters and soldiers, right? There are no evidence and no mentions at all of about women actually fighting in the Celtic world. After that, if you go further east and you go to the steppes, yeah, you will absolutely find uh, ladies, archers, mounted warriors. Yeah, no problem at all. The only mention I can think of in Britain is the women when the Romans decide to take Anglesey. Anglesey. I can't pronounce it really well. Yep. Right. Yep. You have effectively soldiers and fighters and they will try to fight off the Romans, but the women are there and they are terrifying the Romans. Bird-chested and wild hair and waving torches and screaming at the Romans' insanities and encouraging, well, basically saying to their soldiers that, yep, yeah, if you don't hold the line, uh, these breasts will belong to the enemy and stuff like that. And they it is the mention is they really freak out the Romans and it could have overturned the battle. It didn't, but it could have. <laughs> but they are yeah. present on the battlefield and they are taking military political decisions in councils with men. Germany, the Tacitus gives us some mentions as well. So it's a completely different world. It's a very different vision of the world. 
Yeah. And then because then Rome turns up, and of course, then we're left with we're left with effectively the Roman view of women. Yeah. For nearly two thousand years after that. Well, what did they ever done for us on gender inequality? Yeah. It's all. Yes. So, um, how do we beat this myth and start to get to know the Iron Age properly? Ah, that's really a tough one. Yeah, um... I know it's a big question for a, <laughs> for a half hour or so podcast, but I want to say, yeah, everybody should read books and everything. Thing is, and the really weird to me thing is, there's not that much research, in essence, in the UK about the Iron Age. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of specialists. There's a lot of archaeologists, historians. There's a there's very very good books and research written and developing, but it is developing now. Whereas on the continent, usually, well, mainly around say Germany, Belgium, Switzerland, France, you have a very very long tradition since Napoleon the Third. There's a tradition of just studying the Iron Age, studying the Gauls, looking at the Roman texts, looking at the archaeology, and trying to extract that concept and model the archaeology yeah. to the politics of the time because it looks so brave to fight against an invading force. See what they're doing there, especially for yeah. World War One and Two, that massively mm-hmm. developed. Iron Age archaeology, because politics can use that to say, look, our ancestors, they were already fighting this inviting force, which, to be honest, has the same eagle, right? And has mm-hmm. kind of similar ideas on some matters. Yeah. And it works incredibly well. The problem is when you, in, when you involve politics into archaeology, you look at specific topics and you get quite often very wrong ideas. Um, so it went from the enlightened Gaul. That's kind of the translation I can um, I can find right now. Yeah. The the enlightened barbarian. Now going back to yeah, we we have to accept that there is mench- there are mentions there is archaeological evidence of human sacrifices. There are heads being cut off, also yeah. by the Roman army. Shall I just mention as displayed? Well, as yeah portrayed on some of the the columns that you can still see in Rome. It's not just a Celtic thing. It's not just a barbarian thing. So we have to make sure that we don't go too far one way or the other. But in the meantime, we have spent hundreds of years just looking at it, researching it, writing about it. And that, weirdly enough, hasn't happened yet that much in the UK. Whereas it's now what we call the the cradle of Celtic culture, it's medieval Celtic. Again, the Book of Kells, the medieval knots, and all sorts of things. Yeah. If you look at actual Iron Age Celtic, there's very little known research and especially published right now. But again, I would say to know more about it, it's listening to, <laughs> to good podcasts, having a look at what museums and modern, really recent archaeology has to offer. And there will be more in the coming years, I'm absolutely certain, because that's, that's the way it goes. If there's, if there's questions that we can't answer, people just find a way to, to look for answers and to actually do yeah. some research. I suppose as well, people can, uh, well, come down and get, <laughs> get hands on with the Iron Age. Yeah, absolutely. Um, soon to be, well, the Scottish Croc Centre, for example, the Caithness yes, Brock Project, yes, all in yes. Scotland. 
absolutely fantastic Iron Age, Iron Age plans. They are Butso Ancient Farm and Castle Henlis in Wales or St. Fagans Welsh Museum. There are so many places where you can get a bit of a taste, say, of yes. the Iron Age. Yeah, at least visit some reconstructed buildings and who knows, maybe pop in on a course, a display or something <laughs> yeah. that might be held on there at some point. So just to wrap up then quickly to uh, really to, to paraphrase Life of Brian, what have the Romans actually ever done for us? Do you know what? What did they make better? Frying pans. Genuinely. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was all worth it. It was. They invented frying pans. That's what I always say. The folding frying pans arrived in the backpack of legionaries after the conquest and genuinely, especially with modern cooking. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Think the, of a full English without a frying pan. You can't fry anything. I know, right? You can't make pancakes. I'm shocked. I am shocked. Yeah. I, I can't live without fried food. And the administration administration systems i mean i i don't know in britain because then the saxons just arrived you know but mm. in france for hundreds of years after the romans well left or just evolved just the administrative yeah. system and the use of the latin language so basically yeah it was yeah it was worth it for the frying pan <laughs> excellent well thank you thank you very much caroline um like i said before everything i know about the iron age i know from you <laughs> Oh, and uh, that, that's that's still the case, but now I know more. So, uh, so thank you very much for uh, coming on and sharing what is, you know, well over a thousand years of anger. <laughs> yes. Because who doesn't want to yell at the Romans? Oh, I know, right? Doesn't. Everybody makes a line. But it's all in good fun nowadays. But yeah, yeah. I still feel bitter about Alicia, to be honest with you. <laughs> you can carry that grudge to your grave. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yes, thank you so much for coming on the show for us. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about Caroline's work, then uh, check out her website, periogalico.com. Uh, and you can see her at the Ancient Technology Centre at Cranbourne. And uh, you can search for Pario Gallico on Facebook and Instagram and you will find her there. And we'll put links to all of those uh, in the show notes. But once again, Caroline, thank you very much for coming in. That was uh, that, that was truly a rage. No problem. A pleasure to be there. And thanks again for inviting me. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you wish to follow us on Twitter, uh, you can do at History Rage or individually. I am at Paul Bavel. And I'm at Kyle G History. And you can leave comments, thoughts and please send your own History Rages using the hashtag History Rage. We want to know what really gets up your nose. If you've enjoyed our work, then please subscribe. Leave us a review on any of the major podcast providers, wherever you get your podcasts. It really means a lot when you do that. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.